Hello and welcome to the next instalment of the Two Viewer Group. Um, I will mention it's just me today. Um, Sheena is currently preparing for her wedding in Zanzibar, which we head off to next Sunday. So I'm giving Sheena some time off um, and I will be yeah, interviewing a phenomenal guest today. So I'm not too, not too upset that Sheena's got made it because we've got an amazing guest joining us. Um, we have Elizabeth Honer. Now, Elizabeth is currently the CEO of the Government Internal Audit Agency, but her career spans across the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, House of Commons. She's currently a member of the Global Board for the Institute of Internal Auditors, and she's also a board trustee for the Vision Foundation. Correct? Correct. Perfect. Um, I knew I have actually seen that you've cycled 100 miles, Elizabeth. I did. I did indeed. Yeah, for that very same Catholic charity. Yeah, absolutely. We'll probably go into that at some point. Um, so everyone's probably wondering how do we know each other? I will make a disclosure to start us off. IAC have never partnered with the Government Internal Agency. So I've never actually recruited for Elizabeth. That's not how we know each other. Um, we know each other because we've attended many networking events at the same time. She's heard me speak. I'm sure she'll bring that one up. Um, but also, we co-hosted a Women in Internal Audit event before the pandemic. Yeah. 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 That was a face-to-face -face event. That was amazing. Um, and so I just had to have her on the podcast because she's a fantastic example for me of female leadership. She's somebody that I've gone to and I will continue to go to for advice. Um, I have to have I have to have her on the podcast. It was a no So welcome, Elizabeth. Thanks so much, Julie. You're very flattering. I'm already feeling great about this. Thanks very much. You're most welcome. You're most welcome. Um, I guess it's probably worthwhile you starting us off by telling the audience a little bit more about the Government Internal Audit Agency and why you're here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, so the Government Internal Audit Agency is quite large, I think, for in, by internal audit standards. We're about 500 people and providing internal audit and counter-fraud and fraud investigation services across central government. We're only eight years old as an organisation, so Julia's just really? giving me a very quizzical look here. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so we're only eight years old and i am uh, been CEO with us for the last five years, only the second uh, CEO. And we were created out of a recommendation to bring together internal audit teams, it used to be embedded in the individual government departments to bring it into a single agency. But one of the special features of this, we are still by government for government. So we're still civil servants, so internal to government. We'll probably say a little bit more about yeah. um, why it's so great being in the GIAA. Um, so we'll, we'll come back to that but, that, but that's what we do. Perfect, and that's really helpful because I think it's good to give some context as to you know, what it is that you do, why you're here. You haven't spent your entire career in internal audit. Let's start there. I haven't. <laughs> it's a bit about career journey. Yeah. So I really believe in reinvention. So if anybody's listening who is sort of wondering where to go with your career, don't worry is my main message really. So I think of my career in three sections really. Um, uh, so the first I call my exploratory years, which really means this was in my 20s and I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. So those are my exploratory years. I worked in arts administration, so some as well as theatre and for an orchestra. 
And I, I went actually and did a teacher training, a trained primary teacher, which people sometimes say shows a little bit in how I operate. Um, and it was entirely by accident, really, that I fell into the civil service. I didn't, I applied for a specific job rather than going through any um, of the formal sort of recruitment processes. So as I say, it's the first phase, just working out what I wanted to do. When I landed in the civil service, I really felt I'd come home. Mm-hmm. My personal values, those of public service, really chimed together. And so my second phase is sort of my consolidation period, really, mm-hmm. where I, I worked in a number of different parts of uh, central government and also in parliament, um, and sort of learned management, learned some leadership skills. And then my third phase is my leadership years, which, which we may talk a bit more about. So it's only pretty, I'm a, I'm a qualified um, accountant, um, but only quite recently in, in actually in becoming CEO of Government Internal Audit Agency that I've really found internal audit. So, so this is me reinventing myself as I've gone through my career. Mm-hmm. I have to say, if I'd discovered uh, internal audit earlier, it absolutely plays for everything I love, like analytical skills, um, personal relationships, strategic thinking, all those sorts of things. But yeah, it's sort of quite late in career that I've come to it. Yeah, do you actually think if you would have started off your career in internal audit, you would have stayed in internal audit? I think I was reflecting on this the other day as to, I mean, I think why I'm able, I hope, to lead well at our agency is that I have had experience actually um, in management roles and in and in sort of operational delivery, mm. so I sort of understand what it's like to be the people that we're auditing, yeah, and all yeah. the sort of messiness that is involved in running a function or running an organisation. Um, so that hopefully our people and in internal auditors can tune in to actually what it's like for our customers. Mm. And so I really would encourage people to think about um, if they're early in their career, actually do also take a bit of time on the other side, as it were, knowing what it's like to uh, run an operational management area or project or program management or whatever it is. Because I think then we can then be more empathetic with the people that we're actually providing our internal audit services to. Yeah, I, I've I've heard that. That's something I've heard from quite a lot of people who've started off their career in internal audit. They've moved out into the business. They've really enjoyed seeing what the first line looks like. And then they've gone back into internal audit and they feel like what they can provide is better. It's a better solution. It's a better, you know, being right, more empathetic and sound. I think that's right. And it's a really difficult job. Yeah, let's yeah, not. Let's not sort of go away from that. It, you're often um, dealing with really senior people um, uh, who may be often the least senior person that they see that day. Uh, the advantages you get a really great overview of an organization. You can, if you're nosy like I am, you can go and look at all parts of the organization. And then actually, you know, when you come to review a year's work, you're able to synthesize that really quite strategically and, yeah. and look right across an organization. So it's a, it's a really great, great job, but it's quite hard, I, I think. And yeah. it's sort of interpersonal relationship skills that you need and, and the like. Well, we, we talk about this often when we're talking to clients about recruiting. 
It's 40% the CV and the technical fit. It's 60% the interpersonal skills. It's like matchmaking. It's like blind date. It really is about making sure you've got the right personality fit, the right values alignment. Because it reflects in the business, right? It, it's really important. And in the end, I mean, the, the Institute of Internal Rules often talk about us being agents of change. So actually, what are we there for? We're there to help an organisation be better at what it does and achieve better outcomes. Now, and we in, in the GIA have our, our sort of strap line is better insights, better outcomes. So the better the insights we can offer into government, the better the government outcomes will be for the public. Let's talk about some of the pivotal moments in your career. C- can you pinpoint some moments that you look back now and go, aha, that that was important that I went through that. Positive or negative? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Certainly learning moments, I have to say. Yeah. So I've got, I've got two that we can perhaps I can perhaps talk about. So one is really early on in my career. Um, it was very soon after I joined the civil service and I was working at the time at the National Archives uh, in London. And um, we hosted, my, the department I was in, we used to host um, conferences for records managers across government who were in information management across government. And I was really new in, very naive. I have had, and we might talk about some of this later, a real imposter syndrome through my career, really a huge lack of confidence at, at times earlier in my career, which I've had to really overcome. Mm. So my boss at the time, which I was not grateful for at the time, but I am in retrospect, said, you're giving a presentation at this conference. And it was just something like 300 people. Mm. Never, never done public speaking before. Never, um, never, never, never. So, and I was the sort of person in the university, I didn't sort of speak up in, in group discussions or anything. So there I was faced with, having to give a talk to 300 people. And there were certain things that completely threw me about this experience. So the first was, you get on stage and you cannot see the audience because you've got the spotlights in your face. So that, I have not expected that at all. I was so nervous, but I was, I started speaking and the fire alarms went off and it wasn't a drill. So I had only just started speaking, we had to evacuate. <laughs> I had also just had my appendix out, by the way, so I wasn't feeling that strong. Anyway, so we went out, and when we came back, and because I hadn't relaxed into giving the presentation, I literally was shaking, I was physically shaking. Anyway, I managed to get through it. Um, I have to say, I don't think it got the greatest. Um, sort of, you know, the feedback forms didn't get the greatest comments. But anyway, I did it, was the thing. Yeah. So that was a real pivotal moment for me. And the sort of important aspect of that is my boss at the time was a sort of boss, coach, mentor, put me out of my comfort zone. Yeah. And actually, I am really grateful for that because now I do a lot of public speaking. I love it. Um, sort of uh, big audiences and the like, but that putting me out of my comfort zone, somebody spotting some talent and really pushing me. So that was really pivotal. The second one is a lot later in my career. So it was when I was at the, the Foreign Office and was uh, Chief Financial Officer, but that's slightly sort of the lies of it. It was also a bit like a head of corporate services. I had 500 people uh, and I was the head of department. And um, 
I knew that some people in my department were going through some very, very difficult times personally mm. um, that they'd approached me about. And then I was also going through a very difficult time personally. I had almost got to the point where I, would, I thought I'd have to take some time off because my father was dying. Um, I was going through my final um, accountancy exams. Um, sort of four things going on, I can't quite remember that um, I was also just two weeks off getting married. I hadn't told anybody about getting married because I sort of felt guilty about about that joy, but things weren't going very well. Oh yes, and my fourth one was I had just, well, how could I forget this one, had just been diagnosed with skin cancer for the second time. So you know, mild skin cancer, but still the C word. Mm -hmm. So I was going through all this, and I, and I knew I was not being the visible, sort of out there leader that I wanted to be. Um, and the most difficult thing I have done was stand on a stage, we had this big departmental event with at least 500 people, was stand on a stage and tell people what I was going through. Uh, I felt, I was sort of in an environment where you didn't really do that, you didn't really talk about all that stuff. And I did not do it to get sympathy. I did it so that the people I knew who were having a difficult time felt that they could talk up, speak up, and get support, and it was the most incredible feeling. I, I literally left it. I told my husband I was gonna, my husband to be, I was gonna do it. And we had this whole event, and it got to five minutes before the end of the event. I hadn't, hadn't done it. So it's like, I've got to do it, I've got to do it. Because I can't get home, so I didn't do it, I've got to do it. Um, and, and I did it. And uh, quite a few people said to me, thank you, because mm -hmm. I now feel like I can talk about what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. So that, for me, was a massive, pivotal moment in sort of, if you like, values, leadership, being authentic, actually showing vulnerability is a strength. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that, for me, that I've really taken that learning into how I have tried to lead mm. the GIAA, where actually you can be entirely yourself. Mm. We'll celebrate with you when things are going well, you'll get support when things aren't going well. Um, and our sort of people engagement scores have gone up double digits in, in, in the time, which is huge thanks to uh, lots and lots of people, everybody in the, in the agency for that. But uh, that was a real, real learning point. Well, there is, there is a stereotype, isn't there, of what a leader should look like. And often the stereotype is they shouldn't show weakness, they should be quite aggressive, we talk a lot about having the red character skills, if you're a leader, if you're a CEO, you red, a red person, very, you know, kind of, you know, quite, quite aggressive in your approach, and I, I just don't agree with that at all, I've, I've, I've been in departments, I've been in organisations where the leadership was, was just, I couldn't identify at all, I looked at them, I just couldn't, couldn't identify, I just felt no engagement with how they behaved, it just was, yeah, just didn't sit well with me. I mean, there is research done on the, the sort of magic combination of a, of, a, of a great leader is a combination of strength and warmth. Yeah. Because if you only have strength, you know, it's like um, being a dictator almost, isn't mm. it? And if you only have warmth, then you're probably not, not you're going to be a bit of a weak leader. So that mm. magic combination of strength and warmth 
Mm. Um, and the return at that, that's, you know, the classic two by two matrix, you know, great great leaders have that combination. Well, there's a, there's a book called, is it Radical Candor? Radically Candid? It's one of those. And it talks about that. Yes, I, 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 have, yeah. I have heard of heard that. Yeah. 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 So, you're right, it's a yeah. brilliant example of you have to have that human relationship with your team, but you equally need to have the strength and the determination to give them feedback that is constructive and you've got to have the balance of the two. Yeah. Otherwise, you won't help them move forward and you won't help anything move forward. So, um, I mean, in terms of challenges that you face that have helped you build resilience, you, you could talk about imposter syndrome. How have, how have you managed that? Unless that's something you're going through still, because we all do go through it all times. But how have you managed it or what top tips would you give for managing it? Yeah, I mean, it is, it is a real thing. This is not a gender, it's not a gendered thing Agreed. At, um, uh, at all, actually. We can all go through that sometimes. And as you talk, you talk about what challenges, and, and it really is this confidence thing. And I remember having appraisals that's, that sort of would comment on my lack of confidence, and it was sort of annoyingly true, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so it was like, really didn't want that to be the case, and it sort of can, can sometimes make it worse, actually. So how have I overcome it? I think a, num a number of ways. So, so I do actually, and still have, an executive coach, an amazing executive coach, because mm -hmm. what they're able to do is reflect back to you when you're going through your sort of um, dodgy, slightly flaky moment, moments is is remind you actually of what you've achieved yeah. and remind you of the good things you've done and, and the difference you've made. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you do need somebody outside of yourself to yeah. just hold that mirror up and reflect back. I think the other things that have helped have been, I mentioned that particular boss, um, but, but other other not not formal mentors, but but um, if you like role model type leaders who have put me out of my comfort zone, and I've managed to do whatever it was that that, that they were asking of me. So sometimes you, you always have to sort of put yourself, even if you're lacking in confidence, put yourself into a difficult situation, and you probably will thrive. And then that helps sort of build your confidence as well. But it is pretty much a lifelong battle. Um, I feel much, much better about it now. And that's, um, you know, j just by, as you get more experienced and have gone through more, more experiences and, and different roles and, and have done well, then it, then it helps boost your confidence. But it is, I think, it sort of never quite leaves you, actually. No, no, I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's funny, I was once taught to pretend to be somebody else. I was Ooh. once taught being a shallow banner. Okay. And I think, but that's not authentic. That's not you, no. Yeah, that's not me. And okay. and so actually I, I, I used that when I was a lot younger. I used that trick of pretending to be somebody else, turning on a different persona. And then I was like, no, that's not working for me at all. And I realised actually just sometimes, I mean, it's something about nerves and excitement to the same physical output, uh, right? Adrenaline. Yeah, it's adrenaline. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just mindset. Yeah. Your mindset is, is, is just one of the more negative mindset of the fear, one of the more positive mindset of the excitement. So, so we've just, in the GIA, we've just um, 
going on some work on change leadership. I, this, is, this is relevant before you looked at me, I mean, <laughs> where we've used a technique called appreciative inquiry. So instead of doing a classic auditor thing, actually, of looking at where things aren't going well, we look at weaknesses, actually, we turn that on its head in, in leading change and saying, when have we managed to, you know, make a change and embed a change when it's gone well? And what are the characteristics of that? And you can apply that to yourself, actually. So remind yourself of when you did get succeed in that interview and get offered the job. And okay, there may be somewhere you don't get offered the job, but remind yourself of what were the circumstances that actually got you that job or yeah. made you do a great report or whatever it was, is reminding of the positives actually. Mm -hmm. So you can practice that on yourself. Put it in a drop box. <laughs> you can you can almost write it in like a word document and have it in a yeah in a file, right? And if you're having a moment of weakness at work. And remind yourself open that file is the good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, I mean, we'll, we'll go into a bit more on the leadership side. So, advice. Yeah, we've got lots of people listening to this podcast who would love to achieve what you've achieved and we're probably thinking, oh my goodness, give me all your secrets. So, what advice would you give, in general, to anybody looking to move into a leadership role? Yeah, so, I mean, I mentioned some of them already. Is, I mean, I really do think... Um, mentors and coaches can really 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 help actually yeah. so if i think back as i say i've had i mean i'm of a, of an age where sort of the idea of a mentor was ultimately done i think we, we had informal mentors mm -hmm. um someone who you know has helped you push yourself really um executive coach if that can be funded all the better and they really 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 help I have to tell how uncomfortable sometimes it is. 360 feedback, really go and get that feedback because it can massively help. It will help reinforce the things that you're good at or that people value you for, but it can really help um, the things that actually didn't really know that you did or that upset people about or whatever. It's not always comfortable. Yeah. But I'm really grateful for 360 feedback, actually. Yeah. Typically, I always look at the negative stuff first, but oh, um, yeah. <laughs> but that, that can really, really help. I think the other thing is, I mean, we've talked about authenticity, and I do think that's really important. You are just a normal human being at the end of the day. So don't pretend, you know, this, this combination of strength, well, don't pretend that you know, you've got a thicker skin than you actually have and what have you, it's fine, you're just a normal human being. And I think people respond to that when you're a leader. There is though, and this is the sort of thing just to, that, that I've learned, you know, and you have, to, you have to learn, is that the more senior you get, if you like, the wider your span of influence, people often call it the shadow, although the shadow sounds a bit negative, doesn't it? But, <laughs> but the sort of shadow you cast is much bigger the more senior you get. Mm. And so I, I've, I've had problems sometimes where, as the CEO, I will make a chance comment about, oh, wouldn't it be good if we, if we could do such and such? And, and people take it as an instruction. It's like I was only ripping. I was only just like, just, you know, just passing the time of day and, and chewing on some ideas. I didn't actually get that. So do be conscious of actually what you say can sometimes just immediately be taken up. Absolutely. I've seen that happen. Yeah, that's a really good example, but you're absolutely right. It's being so careful, isn't it, on what 
you're then saying any the advice people can take from that yeah. that they can then go and do. Um, yeah, it's just just to watch that one. Mm-hmm. And I think my other one is, I'm giving this a lot of thought recently is, is you really have to think about what you stand for. Mm-hmm. What do you personally stand for as a leader? Mm-hmm. And so when I got this job, um, I was slightly, I mean, it was a slightly difficult departure from where I was before, not that I'm doing anything wrong, but there was a lot of restructuring going on and my job was disappearing and, you know, it was a bit tricky. But in getting this job, I just thought, what do I stand for? And I, mean, I found it immensely liberating being a CEO, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so for any aspiring CEOs out there, it is really wonderful opportunity to you know, craft a vision for an organisation and with the wonderful people that we have, see see that come to be a reality. But what did I want to stand for? It was being a values-driven leader. So Mm -hmm. me, one of the early projects led by one of my colleagues, um, was to really work on the values we wanted to espouse as an organisation and see them embedded right the way through the organization so from our non-exec board members right the way through is um you know making those real not just on a, written on a piece of paper mm-hmm. so it is so so just think about what you want to stand for mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be that it can it can it can be quality or it can be efficiency whatever it is but mm-hmm. you know have, have a think yeah it's yeah it's it's I think it must, it must be quite daunting when you get to that point. You're responsible for so much. You probably feel that every single day. I think having that that north, right, that compass pointing north. It really helps. Yeah. So, so my north compass point, so am I allowed to? That doesn't work really, does it? Yeah. One has been values. One has been values. But the other has been, uh, you know, very early on in my time, we did a lot of work. I did a lot of work personally, but, you know, we tested it out. Is the vision for what we wanted to come as an organization um, and that has also been our north if mm. you like so having a really strong vision that is um you know really embedded and communicated uh um, and we went up in that in my first day we went up 24 percentage points on what is the future direction of this organization yeah mm. you know, that was a, in, in just nine months actually that 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 leap and with the help of um, internal comms uh, in particular, really sort of finding different ways to, to get people excited about mm. that vision. Mm. But it then also becomes that North Star of, you know, you check in, how you're doing, how you're doing, how you're doing. But uh, so vision and values have been really, really critical. Okay. And that's really useful. I think for a lot of people, it's, it's wanting to understand how do you make that next, how do you make that next leap? and most people won't have thought about that. They'll want to get there, but they won't know how to get how to get there. So, so you, we had a conversation about this recently, didn't mm-hmm. we? That becoming, you know, more senior is not just about doing your job better. Mm-hmm. There comes a point where it actually is about where do I, where do I want to take this? It's got it's a real sort of strategic thing of mm-hmm. what is that destination mm-hmm. for this organisation, and then how do I get there and all the rest of it. You've yeah. got to have a vision. Absolutely. No, you, no you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think we often talk about diversity. And one of my questions to you is, how do you think we can increase diversity across leadership roles? Is it something that you have thought about? Is it something that you would like to discuss here? You know, 
your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot about it, and um, I I think it it absolutely matters. And this is not just because there's a moral imperative, you know, to reflect the society in which we work, but actually it is because nobody has the authority or knowledge, you know. Mm. Just because I'm a CEO, I don't know everything. Of course mm. I do. And so the wider number of perspectives you can get on an issue, particularly in the realms of internal order, I mean, you know, you want a diversity of perspectives on any problem. I have, which you won't be able to see, a visual aid or a sort of, I don't know why I call it, a, um, anyway, a book, a prop, thank you. So this is a book, you may, many of you may know it, by Matthew Said called Rebel Ideas. And it's a book about diversity and the importance of diversity. And there's a fabulous sentence in here, or a couple of sentences. It's, he says, diversity isn't some optional add-on. It isn't the icing on the cake. Rather, it is the basic ingredient of collective intelligence. I love that, the basic ingredient of collective intelligence. In other words, nobody can be intelligent all on their own and know everything. So that for me is the, if anybody needs a case, why do we need a case for diversity, that that for me is it. Mm -hmm. So yes, I do think about it a lot. Yes, it matters. I mean, how does one go about that? I think you just have to be very deliberate. You have to be very conscious about, you know, we're talking about recruitment. Where do you recruit? that is going to get away from, if you like, the standard places to advertise or to look for candidates. Mm. You've got to actively get out there and sell. I mean, most people don't know what a terror order is. No. So you've got to get out there, and these, this podcast hopefully will help, of explain what it is and why it's a fabulous career to be in. Show that people like you can be an internal auditor. So we've done a lot of work in the agency um, to to do exactly that, to sort of reach into into new areas, um, and also we're just going through this for a second time. Really work on our value proposition to why we might talk in a minute about why come and work with us. And we've got on our website a recruitment video designed to attract people, if you like. And you've got, you know, a wonderful wide range of people from the agency talking about what they do. Mm. We are a pretty diverse organisation, not as diverse as we would like in some respects. Mm. But we, um, I think probably about um, 2018, we were, we were probably about three quarters male, I would say, mm. maybe across the board. And we've now tipped, just tipped into being slightly more women than men, just right. overall. Yeah. Now, a little less than that at the more senior level, but um, and then on some other, some other areas as well. But it really, really matters. Mm. No, I, I, I totally agree. And I think one, one thing that we really focus on a lot here is cognitive diversity. Uh, so not, you know, yeah, not just thinking about where's that person from, but actually education, you know, backgrounds, as opposed to just gender, just ethnicity. You've got to look at that. I, I agree with you. Um, I mean, you know, the, the people talk a lot about the protected characteristics, but it is, is much broader. It's, it's diversity in every respect. I mean, the, the book I mentioned, 
goes into all of that. I mean, it is different social backgrounds, in our case, different parts of the country. So we're geographically really widely spread. We're in about 40 locations around the UK, so not London-centric. No. And that matters because the public services that we're supporting are around the country. So we want our people to be around the country, mm. understanding the societies in which, in which they live and work. Yeah. No, absolutely, I think it's, you know, unfortunately, it's something that's, we only get in the habit of focusing only on one, one stream and, and we're actually running a diversity and inclusion report on football for internal audit for the sector. And we're being very, very careful about including not just gender ethnicity, etc., but also neurodiversity, something that we are passionate about, we are really looking to, to do more research on for the, for the industry. Um, but also, you mentioned that you are part of the you know, the Vision Foundation. It's thinking about all sorts of different disabilities, isn't it? Yeah. So, so the, I'm, I'm really interested in, in in disability in the workplace, and, and this particular charity um, just merged with Fight for Sight Vision Foundation. We're working on what we will call ourselves in the future. But when uh, the Vision Foundation, we did a um, research piece into blind and partially sighted in the workplace. It's a, it's a very, very interesting report called See My Skills. Mm. And it is absolutely shocking, as we as employers are shocking, actually, mm. about making assumptions about what somebody who has lost their sight or, or didn't have sight can do. You yeah. don't ask them. We don't yeah. say what adaptations you need. We assume Mm. as employers. Mm. It is really, I don't have the report with me on the stats, but it is a shocking read, actually. Right, okay. Um, and so anything that we can do, we are just missing out on talent. Yeah, no, agreed. I think you're right, I think it, all, it is all down to, to judgment and assumption. I think people just make assumptions. So they, they can't possibly do that. Well, actually, have you thought about a solution? you thought about a way to be better? Have you them? Yeah, exactly. You know, they know. Absolutely. It is really, really shocking. And yeah. so that that's something we, we haven't done enough on, uh, uh, I, I think. Um, I mean, both as a as a profession, but also um, as, as mm. an employer. That's mm. uh, something, something we want to do uh, more about. Mm. I think it's also, yes, where we advertise, it's also the nature of the application. I mean, we're terrors in the civil service. We like lots of writing. You know, so there's this really <laughs> long application form and you've got to write beautiful prose and all that sort of thing. So we're looking really hard at actually just cut through that, actually. Um, does it really say how someone's going to perform? Well, yes, there's an auditor you need to be able to write, actually. But, um, you know, it's, it's the style of application. It's what processes you put them through um, in, you know, the course of applying. It's who's around the table when there's an interview. Can they see people like them? You know, the whole, you know. Yeah, it's, it's the vocab. I mean, even looking at a job description, you can yeah. look at a job description and you can, if you really analyse it, and you really analyse the vocabulary that's used, you know, words like, you've got aggressive growth for wanting, you know, people who you know, can really, you know, kind of bring themselves completely into their job. For some people, they, they can't do that. They don't want to do that. I mean, you have to do that. Some people don't want to have to give their whole entire life to an organisation, and it's being really careful about the language that you use in job description to make it there. So, so um, we do that, I can't remember the name, but there's a tool, isn't there? There is a tool. So we use that to, yeah. to look at gendered language in yes. applications. Yes. Um, 
Yeah. Yes, well, I've been thinking we've had um, and we're very big on apprentices, and so we we're really big on apprentices and not only younger people, of course, but we've really gone big on apprentices. Uh, we've had a fabulous returners program that's particularly women returners, but it's the men too returners program. Um, you know, to help people get back into the workplace. Yeah, and, well. and get back into internal audit because. You know, certainly from my perspective, having been in this market for nine years, I know there is a huge struggle for lots of women coming back from maternity, for example, because, you know, historically, internal audit involved travel. And be that national travel, be that international travel, it involved travel. And there was this stereotype of if I'm a, if I, if I, you know, I can't do internal audit if I am coming back from maternity, I've got a child. And that's changing, that's been helped by the pandemic. However, there should, in my opinion, be flexibility. Teams should be able to give different levels of travel to different members of the team if that is something they need to do. Let's keep the talent. Let's not let the talent go into finance. Let's keep the talent. Um, it's really frustrating. I get very passionate about it. Um, you know, we need to be able to provide that career when they come back. Um, or men coming back. You yeah. know, to, again, not have to travel loads and spend time with their children, for example. Um, it's, yeah, it's definitely something. I mean, let, let's go on to the, the Government Internal Audit Agency. I want you to talk me through why we should work for your business. Why should I come work for you? So, <laughs> you, just, you just say it's me. No, but genuinely. I mean, I, I genuinely think if you're interested in internal audit, where else could you want to work? We work across all of that. You know, if you think about what government does, um, all of the different government departments, whether that's in the Home Office or um, now Ministry of Defence or Ministry of Justice or Environmental Matters or the new Energy Security and Net Zero, right, de Department for Work and Pensions with helping people get back into work. Whatever it is that government does, we're there with our internal work. Mm -hmm. So the range of what you can do is phenomenal with us. Because instead of working in a single government department, and yes, absolutely, we still need people to get to know the departments that are around government, but actually you can then, you may want to start with a particular government department, but because we cover the whole of government pretty much now, you can then actually go work in different parts of government. So the variety, and if you think about the risks that government is managing, it isn't only financial risk, you know. Nice absolutely everything you can really think about so all the environmental matters that we're facing we did lots of work during covid and the covid um period about government's response to covid19 mm. um uh you know how you prevent reoffending there's big re you know, preventing reoffending programs whatever it is you you can get immersed in it and it is ultimately for the public good mm. hence Hence, our strapline better insights, better outcomes. So, I think in terms of the range of what you can do is just fascinating. Um, the other is that I've begun to talk about also about the development that you get because we've now been brought in, brought together um, as a as a if you like single audit provider within central government by mm -hmm. government for government. Actually, we can now invest in really rich development programs. So from the moment that you arrive to actually when perhaps you retire or you want to go back into a part of the business or whatever, you will get really great development opportunities with us. You talked about um, talked about diversity and um, 
flexible flexible working so with us we really try and design jobs around around you we do hybrid working so there's a combination of home and office working as well as part-time um, we have term time workers you know the flexibility that, um, that that we can offer is is really fantastic as well uh, this year we're um, uh, appointed in the top five inspiring workplaces in government category so this is the inspiring workplaces awards for the EMEA region and we were in the top five for government That's which amazing. is absolutely amazing yeah um, disability confident, and we're just going through at the moment, uh, seeing how we get it on the, on the uh, apprentices, investors in people awards as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, and our in uh, well through through the um, IIA awards and uh, public finance awards, and also um, in County Fraud, we're award winning on County Fraud as well. So yeah, so really. I think a really genuinely inspiring workplace. What about like you know the, the, the culture? So if you walk into your office, what would you expect to find? How how we how is that from a cultural perspective? If I was day one, I'm coming into your building, I'm coming into your company. What would I expect to see in the in the individuals? Oh, well, great, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> the most common thing I think that people say is friendly. So I, uh, absolutely, from the moment, from the before you join, we try and sort of keep in touch with you, you know, if, if, if you're going to be onboarded. Then we have quite a mature now induction um, process as well for everybody. And that's whether it's, a, you know, um, in whatever part of the organisation you work in, everybody says that. I do, I go and meet all new people. We have do a little stop on the induction program. Mm -hmm. I always ask them how, how their first bit has been. And they don't, you know, I'll say, tell me honestly, everybody mentions how friendly it is. Hang on, for every single person. So every, you, every person who joins a business, you would have a, a not a one to one. There is a, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to say, I that the way that we bring people together for their induction program, I will do a slot on the induction program. Oh, wow. Yeah, for every cohort. That's incredible. There won't be many CEOs who do that. Really? Doubtful. I no, highly I doubt it. it. I really, I love it. I love. I mean, it's it's you know we do, we do it remotely as well. Because yeah. People are joining, so you say, what is it like walking into the office? Well, we have forty of them, so you know it'll be slightly different. In, yeah. You know what the offices are like. It, they'll, they'll be slightly different, but I think it's um, true to say everybody says that very friendly. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's it's amazing. I think it's one of the things that most candidates nowadays do really look for. It's the culture. It's what it feels like to be part of the business, it's the engagement. That's something that a lot of companies have struggled with actually since the pandemic, I think, because everything, everybody has been so far away from that head office. It's still getting that engagement. It's, still, it's hard, isn't it? So, so we've we've taken on the hybrid working thing. We, as I say, we have um, work at home and in the office. We encourage people to make their office time purposeful. So actually, as a team, you agree which days you're going to be in, because then you've got some mates with you. Otherwise, we're quite just coming in and sitting at your computer as you could be at home. So to so really try and make it you know, team-focused when, when you're in. Also, obviously, customer-focused. There's one other thing that I, I really must say in terms of the agency, um, for people who may, from this, be interested. Yes, of course, the majority of our people are in turn mortgages, 
We have a very, as I say, award-winning and important team on counter-fraud and fraud investigation. And of course, we have a corporate services, you know, the, 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 the professions that fall within the corporate services arena because they're enabling us as an organization. Mm-hmm. If you see what I mean. Yeah. So yeah. You know, we've got people who are in finance, comms, governance, um, uh, HR, etc. So there are corporate service jobs as well. That's a good point. I think we always think of agencies as going out client site, but of course there's lots of opportunities showing internally. Internal enabling services they keep us going. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people hate the word sometimes support because actually they're way more than support. It's enabling. <laughs> it is seriously enabling. Yeah. You know, we yeah. function without them. Yeah. Let's face it. I say the same thing about um a little shout out actually to Leslie and Sharon, who 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 are essentially the bones of our organization. If they weren't here, nothing would get done properly, nothing would happen. They are just incredible. So um yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And um, I mean, question really on what does it mean to deliver internal audit across the government? You've talked about the variety, it's a huge variety, but what does it actually mean to deliver it across the government? What, what are you getting at, right? Well, I guess really, if you're thinking about the role of internal audit, you, you work across the different areas, mm. but if is there anything in particular about the role of internal audit across the government that may be different to how it might work with other organisations or commercial organisations? Yeah, yeah so, so one of the things, sort of the vision that I had when I joined was we want to do really great quality internal audit for each individual customer. We call them so each individual government organization. But actually, what's the added value of having us together as an agency? It is so that we can look across the government system from either from the work that we do or driven by a government risk and actually um, develop cross government insight and also help compare department. I don't, I don't mean really overtly, we don't do lead tables or any of that that help the departments learn from each other's good practice. And we can only do that because we've brought the teams together into an agency. Mm-hmm. And, and that for me is a sort of added extra, the added value of having us as an agency for government is that we can look across government. We've just done, for example, just doing a, a piece, just finalizing a piece right now on um, the go- governance around artificial intelligence adoption. In, I know. Punchy. Really, yeah. <laughs> so actually, um, what are departments doing? Are they managing the risks? Are they really exploiting some of the opportunities as well as managing the risks around AI? What's the governance around it? Do they even know that they use it? All, all that sort of stuff. So um, just as an example, those are the sorts of pieces we can do across the government system that actually gives a much richer picture of government as a whole more so than if we were only focusing on internal audit um, uh, for each individual customer. Do you see what I mean? And this this was very much behind the the better insights, better outcomes, the better and richer the insights we can bring into government so that actually we can be a knowledge breaker in government, lifting the quality of the whole. Actually, the better things will be for us as citizens. I think that's a really good point, actually. It's the, the wealth of knowledge that an internal audit holds. I mean, I, I think it's phenomenal because I mean, I really enjoy speaking to heads of internal audit. I feel like I've learned so much over the years 
just from having an hour, <laughs> a snippet of time, an hour talking to a head internal audit. I love it. Um, but being an internal auditor, you just genuinely get insight into everything. And you do have that ability to be able to just understand how everything works. It must be amazing. And it's really, and it's really not. So yes, you can do that for each individual government department. Yeah. But actually, you can then elevate that even more and it right across the government system. Yeah. And with the agency, we're also able to invest because we invest once if you like for the whole of them we're investing now also um as well as in our um employee value proposition but also investing in um uh, data analytics and ai adoption ourselves um, the director innovation uses this term it's making internal auditors superhuman because not replacing internal auditors but yeah. it's actually enabling them to focus on the bits of the job that they can have the relationships, the change management, the sort of joining the dot, the insight, all of, all of that sort of stuff, the literature. But we can invest once in this for the whole of government. Yeah, we, we, we're exactly the same recruitment. Yeah. yeah. Our skill is communication. Our skill is the expectation management. But we can, we can actually sort of offload some of the manual clunky bits of admin that can go to now AI, that can go to ChatGPT. We're looking at how we can use it. It's phenomenal. It's incredible to see what you can do. And, and then releasing your time. Yeah, releasing your time is really added value bits. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's well I guess that just leads on to the future of internal audit. You know, what will the internal audit look like in 10 years? Have you <laughs> had a think about this? You know? So I I am think about this and it's partly also with the global board hat on so there's a really interesting project um being recently launched by the global um iia institute of internal which is called vision 2035 and yeah it's, uh, um and it, it's really doing some deep research into actually what the stakeholders want from internal audit as well. And if you think about, um, if you like, the speed of change in today's society, the exponential developments in technology, um, et cetera, also sort of the, I, I think, the increased importance on um, sort of ethics, people are very, so the ESG type agenda, really important is, um, uh, sort of ethical investment, uh, all, all of that. So that I think that, that, that piece of research is going to be really interesting. So what does yeah. that mean then for internal audit? So I think we have to work faster. Um, so gone are the days where you can take a few weeks or even months to do an internal audit report, you know, and you back, back and forth in terms of reference and eventually leave them and then do your field work and you don't have quite a linear process to do an audit. And by the way, in three months' time, you might get a final report. But the, the sort of life isn't like that anymore, is it? No. So no. how do we work? I mean, I'm sure listeners will be familiar with agile techniques and, and the like, but how do we get this fusion of, of technology to support us with more agile techniques um, to actually, and you know, more mature relationship skills to work really with the customer so that we're actually giving our insight almost in real time, you know, so that actually we're helping you um, ahead of what you're doing as opposed to telling you where you got things wrong in the, yeah. in the past. So what does that mean then for the skills? So it does, I, I absolutely believe internal audit must and still will have a role. We just would be different. We yeah. do things differently, but it absolutely still has a purpose. 
Um, but what does that mean for the skills? Absolutely, it means, I think, a premium on relationship skills. That they, uh, I refuse to call them soft skills. They're not soft, they're quite difficult sometimes. <laughs> quite hard. <laughs> so really deep relationship skills. A, really un a real understanding of, you mentioned culture, so cultural organisations and their values and ethics and are they properly lived. Mm. And my sort of nirvana would be that, and all that, this is ridiculous by the way, but I can dream. Uh, where an organisation doesn't need hard control to, to make people do the right thing. Actually, the values, the, the culture of that organisation is such that people do the right thing because it's the right thing, if you see what I mean. Yeah, um, And, and organisations, you know, the 21st century organisation is much more organic than the sort of traditional 1970s hierarchical organisation. Mm. You know, you know, I remember the talk you gave, Julia, about sort of Gen Z and what people look for. Mm. Um, and, and you talked about what matters to people, younger people coming, coming into the world of work. The culture matters. How they're going to be treated matters. Have they got the flexibility to... They're much flatter organisations as well. Yeah. So actually... That sort of concept of internal audit being about governance, controls, and risk management is, I think we need to sort of, those things don't matter, don't get me wrong, but how they operate are going to be different because organisations are much fatter, much more organic, people don't want to be told what to do. Mm -hmm. So that, for me, puts an absolute premium on the culture of organisations and mm -hmm. that culture, meaning that people do you like me? Yeah, and therefore it's the people who believe in the values of that business. I think this is what we always talk about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to join yeah. the business that you are aligned to yeah. from a values perspective. Yeah. It's not about the salary, it's not about a lot of the things. Um, and we see it happen time and time again, it's frustrating. I completely agree with that. I did a workshop recently about, it was actually about, about exactly that thing and where people where it is so stressful working somewhere where your values are not aligned and you end up at a sort of pivotal decision ring. Mm. Are you going to stay because the salary is great or whatever? But actually, you've got to accept then that you may not be as happy or fulfilled or what have you, or are you actually, because you are at that fork in the road, are you going to go, actually, this, mm. is, this is not how I want to spend my life, yeah. you know, maybe I've got life. Yeah. So how do you want to spend it? And for me, that alignment of an organisation's values and your personal values is where you will end up being fulfilled. Yeah. And my, my, so if people get disappointed when they don't, you know, get a job, all the times I have not succeeded at an interview, disappointing as though that is in the moment, when I have looked back, I've said, thank goodness. Yes. Yeah. It would not have been the right job for me. Do you end up getting the jobs that are right for you? I, I really believe that. Oh, I, I, I really believe that. I've said to hundreds of candidates, this happened for a reason. I can often see, oh, I get that, I get why that's not worked out, I get why that's not happened. You can see there's something that's not quite clicking and aligning. Oh, it's too forced. It never works. It never works. That's why we always believe that the perception of an opportunity you know, how we represent an opportunity, but also how a client represents themselves in an interview must be the reality, must mm. be aligned with the reality. That's how people leave. They leave because they join the company. It's nothing like what they've 
signed up for in the first place. That's often the problem. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm keen to know what attracted you to the role of the, the Global Institute of Internal Audit. So, yeah. how did that happen? How did it come about? And what, what made you go for it? Because it's a big responsibility. It is. <laughs> um, really interesting. So, you, so you, I should say, firstly, that I, at the beginning of my time as CEO, I just I wouldn't have even contemplated it because I was so busy, you know, of course. Time, uh, yeah. The time. <laughs> yeah, but all the time, knowledge, where my sort of head was, really um, focused on the vision of GIA, which, of course, I still have, but actually I've got brilliant people who are taking that forward too. And I, it literally came out, so I had a conversation with um, the, the, the former CEO of the IAA in the UK, so the Chancellor Institute of Internal Auditors, we were just sort of chewing the card about the future of internal audit that like we've been doing. Without um, Mike Fred. <laughs> yeah, without <laughs> Mike. And um, he said, Oh, you've got to meet, you know, centre and then you know, meet various people. And eventually I uh, met um, uh, the the new head of the global IAA. And uh, we sort of clicked and very um, exciting about the, the potential for the future of the profession. You then go through an app. So I just thought, oh, God, this sounds amazing. You know, actually, to do uh, the, the opportunity that it gives, both to learn from others across the world from the profession, um, as well as to share some of the things that we're doing in the, in the GIAA, and to help shape the future of the profession, so that Vision 2035 project, some of the things we've been talking about, about um, absolutely fundamental belief, internal audit is here to stay, but we need to reform and transform. Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to do that, sort of at a global stage, is really, really exciting. There, there, there is then an application process. <laughs> so you don't just get given it, okay? <laughs> so you have know, an application process and uh, interview and it is a personal appointment, so it, so it doesn't come with the job, if, if you like. Right. So um, all of the board members from um, about, I think it's 14, 16 or something like that, from um, different countries around the world, it's, it's always, uh, you're appointed personally, and there is an application process, yeah. I might apply. Do you know yeah. what, I, I reckon I'd be a really great insight into the Global Institute of Internal Audit, you know. Go for it next year. And there are, I mean, there are some really, I mean, there are really, there are some really interesting uh, other committees. There's a whole plethora of committees that look at the, the um, future of the actual qualification. Where is that going? What guidance there should be? Obviously, there's new standards coming out, mm. um, uh, etc. And there's a there's a very little known um part of the global eye which is called the um internal audit foundation it's the charitable arm actually of the institute of internal auditors yeah. and they do fundraising and grant giving for example people can apply if they're doing a, um, a doctorate for example in an element that's related to internal audit can perhaps get a grant or what have you and they're, and they're helping part fund this um, research project into um uh, vision 2035 so great. Yeah. And I think, that, I think that's what's really important, right? It's, it's thinking about the future. It's thinking about who's coming through, how can we support those individuals. I think it's getting into schools. I mean, I've spoken um, to the IA about this, you know, going into schools, going into universities, actually, again, raising the awareness earlier 
I want people to go when they can. I want to be an internal auditor. You know? That should be a Barbie. <laughs> Oh, 
party, dead or alive, who are you bringing? <laughs> it's so funny. On the way here, I was talking to my head of comms and said there is one question I really hope I don't get asked, <laughs> which is who from history or indeed current you would like to meet. And now you ask me that question. Well, you prepared for it then. No, I haven't, because I said I have the one question I didn't want to be asked. You know, you can take Matthew Saeed, who's his book you're obviously enjoying. I would on. like Matthew Saeed, whose book I very much enjoy. <laughs> I would also like, so I am a really avid dance ballet fan, and indeed do ballet. So that's the question I would like you to ask me what to oh. do in your spare time. What do you do in spare time? So what I do in my spare time is ballet for the over 55, just saying, called Silver Swans. Isn't that a great name? That's brilliant. Yeah. So I do a ballet class. Um, anyway, and I have just been, I am an absolute fan of a ballet dancer called Carlos Acosta, who is Cuban. Uh, and he's just, I've just at the Royal Opera House been to see Carlos at 50. So he's now 50 years old. And he's just had a birthday celebration on stage, yeah. dancing himself, but also choreographing and what have you. So Carlos Acosta is also really interesting on the subject of diversity. Um, and his whole thesis about that is just, you are missing out on talent. Yeah. So he would be a very nice guest to have around the table. Actually, I actually. That must be a Yeah, huge. really, really massive. And Julia, I think you're invited as well. Yes. Yes. I was hoping you were going to say that. Well, I can't cook. So I would love to do better. So there we are. That aside, that was a good And the one and only Julia White. Marvellous. Winning. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I've really enjoyed that. Thank you so much. really appreciate your time. And thank you very much for listening to our audience. Thank you.